0: John 16, uh, we're we're in a series focusing on encounters with Jesus, life-changing stories from the Gospels, and uh, the sermon today is actually uh, the last sermon I'm giving for the next three and a half months, as many of you are aware of there. That's a booze in the crowd. (laughs) That's the first time I've been booed at church, Um, and so, uh, all right, we'll... well, (laughs) I'll take that as a good thing. I'll take that as, never has a boo sound so wonderful. Uh, so uh, tomorrow I begin my, my sabbatical, uh, actually at 5.01 p.m. I begin, today, I begin my sabbatical after our annual meeting. Uh, and so uh, for three and a half months, I'll, I'll be away and I'll, I'll explain a little bit more of that in a moment. But um, I'm going to give some words along these, the lines of what Jesus, a conversation Jesus had with his disciples, my sabbatical, and the implications for our church as a whole and for your individual life as, a, uh, as well. And so I want to talk about today, my theme is a ministry of absence, a ministry of absence. And it's also kind of a pre-Pentecost sermon. Next Sunday, we celebrate Pentecost, the time of the Holy Spirit's coming to dwell among us, to fill us, to give us God's life. That's Pentecost Sunday, that's next Sunday, but this is a kind of pre-Pentecost sermon for us uh, as well as a a sabbatical sermon for me. And so John 16, uh, beginning in verse number five, hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says to his disciples, I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. This is my verse here. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. That's my verse to you as well. Isn't that wonderful? It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. I'm going to talk about Jesus and his disciples, my sabbatical, and the implications for your life and our lives together as a church. Let's pray together. Jesus, open our hearts to your word, give us eyes to see what you want us to see ears to hear what you want us to hear, heart to receive, every gift of the Holy Spirit you long for us to have this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Ministry of absence. There are a few things in this world that are more important than the presents that we give to each other. And just so I'm clear, I'm not talking about Christmas presents or birthday presents. I'm talking about the presents, our very selves that we give to each other. Nothing can take the place of our presence. You can give gifts to your friends, gifts to your spouse, gifts to your children, but if you don't offer them your presents, something is missing. Oftentimes, people try to compensate giving presents For the lack of their own presence. But we all need our real life presence among each other. When a loved one passes away, the thing we miss most is not the gifts that they gave us, but we miss their presence. When we are ill and in the hospital, balloons are nice and cards are nice, but what we really long for Is presence, someone who can be with us. When we celebrate the joys of life, the graduations, the weddings, the the birthday parties, what we really long for are the presence of the people who mean most to us. As a pastor, I've learned that when people are going through difficult times, when people are sick, when people are in a really bad place, what they really long for is not a sermon at that moment. What they need is my presence. It's safe to say that the story of Christianity is a story of, of God's presence. God's faithful, unending presence with his people. The Bible is about the witness of God, the ways that God longs to be with us. God's presence is a good thing. And yet in our text, we find something very puzzling. We see Jesus telling his disciples that his absence is a good thing. We would think, no, no, that can't be true. Your presence is a good thing. But in our text, Jesus says, my absence is a good thing for you. When we pick up in our text, Jesus is, in, is informing his disciples that he is going to leave them. They have spent three years together. They have prayed together. They have preached together. They have partied together. They've had good times with each other. Since he came into their life, things have changed. They've seen blind eyes heal. They've seen dead people come to life. In three short years, they have seen so much. And I I can imagine these disciples saying to each other, if we have experienced all these wonderful things in just three short years, imagine six years. Imagine the impact we'll make in nine years. Imagine 12 years. Imagine 15 years. They, they, I imagine they're strategizing. They're talking about what can be accomplished in the area of their world if Jesus is with them. But as they are strategizing, Jesus comes to his disciples and lets them know, guys, I'm leaving. And I imagine at that moment they say, no problem, Jesus. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good night. But he said, No, 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 I'm not leaving just for a night. Well, we'll see you in a week then. No, 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 I'm not leaving for a week. I'm, I'm leaving, leaving. I'm heading out. And not only does he say he's heading out, he says, It is for your good that I am leaving. And at this moment, these disciples are confused. These disciples are stricken with grief. These disciples are disoriented. You know, it's like when you're dating someone and things are going great, at least from your perspective, and, 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 and they come up to you and say, listen, I love you, but is. Good that I leave you. It's it's it, whatever you said. When, when whatever, whenever the but comes, you've eliminated everything that uh, it doesn't matter anymore. You, I love you, but it's good for me to leave. This doesn't make any sense. And for Jesus, he's saying, "I love you, and it is for your good that I leave." Now, in order to understand what Jesus is getting at, we have to do a quick journey from Genesis to Revelation. And I want to take you on a quick two, three-minute journey from Genesis to Revelation. Because the story of the Bible is about the presence of God. And when Jesus says, it is good that I leave, he is tying those words into the larger story of the entire Bible. Because God has longed to be with his people. At the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, God creates heavens and earth and then he creates a garden and he creates humanity to live in this garden. But when God creates humanity, he doesn't create them in such a way where he has them in the garden and he goes about his own business. No, God longs to be in communion, in relationship, in friendship with his people. And so he walks with his people in the cool of the day. He walks with Adam and Eve in friendship, in communion, in relationship. They're having a good time together in the Garden of Eden. But Adam and Eve were not content being with God. They wanted to be God. And so they sin, they violate God's command. They eat from the tree they should not have eaten from. And when they violate God's command, sin enters into the world. And when sin enters into the world, they are banished from the garden. No longer can they remain in that space anymore. They are banished from the garden. You would think at this moment that this is the end of the story. They sinned. They messed up. They wanted to be God. They took matters into their own hands. End of the story, but not so fast. Because what we see throughout the scriptures is a God who can't get enough of his people. Over and over again, God banishes them, but then God starts pursuing them. This is the God we serve. This is the paradox of Christianity. That because of our sin, we we, we are banished from God's presence and God still comes after us. Isn't that good news for you? Oh, that that your sin can't keep you from the love of God. What can separate you from the love of God? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And so... The story of the Bible is the people of God taking matters into their own hands and God pursuing them. And so we see in the book of Exodus that they are are saved from Egypt. They are saved from the hands of Pharaoh. And God just wants to be with them. He wants to guide them. He wants to be present to them. And so God comes in the form of a cloud. God comes in the form of fire. He just wants to be with his people. So much so that when they're in the wilderness, God says, let's set up a tabernacle. Let's set up this kind of mobile sanctuary where I can just just be with you. I can hang with you. We can have friendship, fellowship, communion together. God longs to be with his people. Moreover, God says, a tabernacle is not enough. Let's get a temple. Let's get a solid structure, a fixed place, a permanent residence where I can be with you, be among you. We can fellowship. We can, we, we can, we can have a good time together. And, and so a temple is created for the presence of God to dwell. But over and over again, the people of God turn from God. Over and over again, the people of God take matters into their own hands. Over and over again, the people of God sin, they rebel, they do whatever they want to do, and because of the consequences of their sin, they're sent into exile into a foreign land. But God doesn't leave them alone. God continues to pursue them. God starts raising up prophets, and he starts saying, listen, can you give this word to my people? I I love you so much. Can you come home to me? I just want to be with you. And so over and over again, God would anoint and raise up a prophet to let God's people know, I love you. I can't get enough of you. I want to be with you. Return to me. And over and over again, we see the pattern. God invites his people into friendship and communion. The people of God take matters into their own hand. They are banished from the presence of God. God comes after them. It got to the point where God says, I'm tired of being a fire. I'm tired of being a cloud. I'm tired of being in a temple. I'm tired of being in a mobile tabernacle. I'm tired of just being coming through a prophet. I want to really be with you. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then it says, and the word became flesh. And dwelt among us God wanted to be so close to us he wanted to eat with us he wanted to wash our feet he wanted to heal our eyes he wanted to change our hearts he wanted to be in such close proximity to us this is the Jesus of the Gospels And so these disciples, they're they're, they're in the very presence of God. What could be better than the physical presence of God among us? But Jesus says, it is for your good that I leave. What could be better than Jesus hugging me? What could be better than having a meal with the physical Jesus right across from me. What could be better than having a cup of coffee at Georgia Diner with Jesus? What could be better? And Jesus says there is something better. Because I didn't just come to live alongside you. I want to be so close to you. I want to dwell in you. I I, I want to live inside of you. I want to be so close to you. God is is closer to us than we are to ourselves. What he was talking about is now, if I leave, I'm not leaving you as orphans. If I leave, I'm sending something better. I'm sending my very self in the presence of the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you. That's how close God wants to be with you. And so Jesus says, it is for your good that I go away. For if I don't go away, I cannot live inside of you. Dale Bruner, a great New Testament scholar, said it this way. He says that this verse can be translated. The best thing that could ever happen to you is for me to go away. This is what Jesus is saying. My absence will pave the way for another dimension of my presence. My absence will pave the way for another dimension of my presence. And so let go of your experience of me right here because there's something better that I have for you. Isn't that a good life principle as well? That from time to time we have to leave stuff that we're so familiar with because God has something better for you. It is for your good that I leave, so that the Spirit can come. Now, when we think about this passage, there are many implications, and I want to explore just three of them here, and then talk a little bit about the implications for this sabbatical. When we look at this passage, Jesus is saying certain things about the Holy Spirit and why the Holy Spirit is, the presence of the Spirit is needed. And if I could say it this way, the first thing that Jesus is really getting at here is is that because the Spirit of God is in you, you are never alone. Oh, that's good news. You are never alone. Because Jesus has sent the advocate, because he has sent the comforter, because he he has sent the helper, you are never alone. And the Holy Spirit's job is to remind you of the presence of Jesus in your life that no matter what you are experiencing in life you are never alone no matter what comes your way you are never alone if you belong to Jesus you are never alone your girlfriend your boyfriend might have left you but you are never alone Your friends might have rejected you, but you are never alone. Your company probably discarded you, but you are never alone. Circumstances in life make you feel like you are alone, but you are never, never, never alone. Because the Spirit is in you, you are never alone. Moreover, because the Spirit is in you, you can live as Jesus lived. You can become like Christ. Now, this is what it means to be a Christian. I don't know what you thought being a Christian believed, uh, believe a Christian entailed. Maybe you thought being a Christian means that my sins are forgiven, I get to go to heaven when I die. Amen, fantastic, wonderful. But that's not all what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian, and I don't know if you knew you were signing up for this, but I'm going to tell you what you signed up for. To be a Christian is to be the very presence of Jesus in our world. That's what it means to be a Christian. To follow him and to be the very presence of Jesus in our world. You say, I didn't sign up for that. Too late. (laughs) Now notice, Jesus was limited by his physicality. He's limited because... He's limited by, his, by time and space. He's limited by becoming flesh. Only a certain amount of people could get to Jesus at a time. Certainly, he did miracles for the thousands. Certainly, he sent out 72. He had 12 disciples. He had three of his inner circle. He had one where he was his, his really closest, the beloved, John the beloved. But Jesus' impact would always be limited by his physicality. But God's dream for the world has always been for the very presence of Jesus to fill the earth. For the very presence of Jesus to permeate our existence, to fill our society. And Jesus knew that he was limited by his physicality. But if he would die on the cross and resurrect, he can now send his spirit So there there is no place where his spirit cannot dwell, where the very presence of Jesus can flow on this earth. And so whether you know it or not, you are called to be the very presence of Jesus Christ in this world, in your workplace, in your home, in your school, on your block in the neighborhood. You are called to be the presence of Jesus. And if you feel that sounds overwhelming, it should feel overwhelming, which is the third thing why it's important. Because the Spirit is in you, you have power to do it. This is not something you can conjure up on your own because the Spirit of God is inside of you, brothers and sisters. You can do in God's Spirit what you cannot do on your own, which is a good definition of grace. A good definition of grace is what God does on our behalf that we cannot do for ourselves. And when we say yes to Jesus and the Spirit of God dwells inside of us, he now empowers us to do what we cannot do on our own. Jesus says, it is good for you that I go away. But I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to live and dwell inside of you. Now, as I've been thinking about this passage and thinking about this message, I wanted to, to make a connection with this text and this sermon, our church, my sabbatical. And I want to say something obvious, but needs to be said when we look, about, look at Jesus' words. And the thing that needs to, that's obvious that needs to be said is very simply this, I am not Jesus. I know you know that. <laughs> I just need you to know that I know that too. <laughs> I am not. Why are you clapping? My... <laughs> However, uh, there's too many praises over here. Hey, Amen. I know you're not like you like <laughs> not. That being said, I think there are important points of application for this cultural and historical moment of our church, of what it means that I take a sabbatical for three and a half months. Now, first, let me define a sabbatical for us and then make some connections here. A sabbatical is a uh, period of time, if you can get up on the screen, a carefully planned period of time in which a pastor, in this case, is granted leave away from his or her normal responsibilities In order to spend an extended period of time in rest, renewal, and refreshment. Now, this has been part of our culture at New Life for over 25 years, where pastors have gone on sabbatical. But why is it good that I go away? Why is it good for you that I go away? And why is it good for me that I go away? I want to nail down four things why. Why is it good that I go away? Now, first of all, I want to say that sabbaticals protect us from a personality-driven church. Sabbaticals protect us from a personality-driven church. Why do people go to church? When you look at the statistics around this country, the answers are not encouraging. When you look at stats and research that's done... The reason why many people go to church, and it's not that these things are bad necessarily, but it's incredibly limited. Three reasons why people go to church often is because of the worship experience, because of the caliber of preaching, and because of the kids' ministry. Now, these are all good things. When I go to church, I want to have a good worship experience, I want to worship God. I want there to be excellence in music. I want, there to be, I want that. When I go to church, I want to be able to hear the word of God clearly in a way that's accessible to me as I live in this world. I want good, strong children's ministry. All that is, is great. But there's the line that we cross where the reason we're coming is essentially to just get. And what happens is we live our lives as consumers. Religious consumers out for the next spiritual blessing, religious goody, and our lives are now not about gathering together as the people of God, building community. It's now, what can I get out of this experience? And so what happens around this country and places is from time to time, and I know stories of this where church members will call the office... During the middle of the week to find out who's preaching. I know that never happens at this church here, but, but I want to just. And if the preacher is preaching, I'm coming. But if the preacher is not preaching, I'm not coming or I'm going someplace else. So no longer does it become about being the gathered people of God in that local space. It's now, what can I get out of it? Now, one of the encouraging things for me as a pastor of this church is, from time to time in a given year, I look at all of our, our, a lot of our membership profiles. And in a given year, uh, we're going to receive 60 new members at our annual meeting today. And I look at membership profiles and, and why are people coming to New Life? And I want to I, I know these things. And I'm so encouraged to know that the vast majority of people... Why do they come to this church? They're coming because they've experienced community. The vast majority are coming because they have found a place where they can belong. Someone knows them, and they are known by, they, they know others. And when I read that, I'm so encouraged by that. Because what makes the church the church is we are the gathered people of God. And we are here because we belong to each other. We're not here as to be a consumer. As I say, we're not a mall. We're not a crowd of consumers. We're not a stadium. We're not a crowd of spectators. We're not a sanctified subway car, a crowd of anonymous people in close proximity. We are the gathered people of God. And so a sabbatical protects us from a personality-driven church. The church has no future if it's built around the personality. The church is built around the presence of the Holy Spirit and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Secondly, why is the sabbatical so important? Well, sabbaticals provide room for others to grow. When in 2012, we had announced to the church that Pastor Pete was stepping down from being the senior pastor and that I would be taking over the role in 15 months after the announcement. And after, we, after Pastor Pete announced it, Pastor Pete went on a four-month sabbatical. And it was good that he went away. I told him that too. It was good that you went away. <laughs> I needed you to go away. <laughs> he knows this. I told him. I told him earlier today as well. It was good. The reason it was good was not because Pete was trying to control the reins of everything. The reason it was good is because I needed freedom to grow. Because if we're in a staff meeting, I'm going to look behind my back to see if does Pete approve of this? Is Pete happy with this here? And I would be still trying to get his pleasure and live for his approval as opposed to living for God's approval. And so I needed him to leave. Our church needed him to leave. And when he came back, it was a really wonderful thing that happened. I was accustomed for four months of leading our staff, of standing up and giving direction and saying, this is where we're going to do, this is where we're going. And then when he came back from his sabbatical, he was still the senior pastor. And so I I felt like I had to defer to him when he came back. And I'll never forget the first staff meeting when he came back. And I was deferring to him a lot. And I wasn't as confident as I was when he wasn't in the room. And at the end of the meeting, he pulled me to the side and said, Rich, I I noticed you're not leading. We need you to lead. You need to lead. And at that moment, he was empowering me. But what happens is sabbaticals provide room for others to grow. And the same way that it was good that Pete left, it's good for my staff that I leave. Mirren in the second service, she said, amen. She said, I I mean, I I was like, Lord. (laughs) Don't gotta say it like that, Mirren. I mean... Goodness. But what's going to happen in my short absence is our staff and leaders are now going to take the reins of some things, give leadership in ways that they can't because I'm here. And it's a wonderful gift. I believe in empowerment. I believe in giving opportunities. You're going to hear people that I've trained and I've developed here who are going to preach over the next 15 weeks. You can hear guest speakers as well, but but this is a moment of empowerment that people can grow in this church, that this church is not built around me or the worship experience, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we're here because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so it provides room for others to grow. The third reason why sabbaticals are important is because they create space for ministry of absence. Henry in term uh, he, he created this term which said, we need two ministries, not just pastors, but every person. We need a ministry of presence, and we need a ministry of absence. All of us need a ministry of presence, and we need a ministry of absence. A ministry of presence is we have to learn what it's, what it's like to be with each other, to pray with one another, to be there for each other. And I hope over the next few months that you will cultivate a ministry of presence, that you would gather with each other, We have summer parties coming up. You'd gather, you'd meet new neighbors, you get in small groups, you come to the class. There's a ministry of presence, but not only do we need a ministry of presence, we all need a ministry of absence. And I love how Henry Nowen says it. He says, The reason we need a ministry of absence, and he doesn't call it, he calls it a creative withdrawal as a ministry of absence. It's not me, it's not you running away from people, it's an act of creative withdrawal. And he says, We need to learn how to leave so that the spirit can come. Amen. Very practically, often, we find ourselves in people's lives over-functioning and doing everything for people because we need to be needed. And so all we have is a ministry of presence. And I love a ministry of presence, but then what happens is that ministry of presence becomes about codependency, And I need you to need me. And so what begins to happen is we need that ministry of presence, but we need, we need a ministry of absence as well. There are times where we say yes, and then there are times we say no. There are times we need to be present, and then there are times we need to be absent. For the sake of our own souls, for the sake of the people around us, we need to learn how to leave so that the Spirit can come. And I believe over the next few months, I'm going to leave, and and the Spirit is going to come in fresh ways, different ways, through different people, in ways that we can't anticipate. It is good that I go so that the Spirit can come in a fresh way, a different way a different perspective. And so it creates space for a ministry of absence. Finally, sabbaticals remind us that God ultimately holds all things together. Amen. Amen. Colossians 1.17 says this, he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Not in sermons, not in a worship song, not in, in him all things Hold together. And we're reminded that God is the one who's holding everything together. Now, it's along these lines. I came across a wonderful, helpful quote by Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson is a famous pastor who passed away last year. He's written many books on pastoring. And there was one year that he took a, a, an entire year sabbatical. I said, I got to get me one of those. He, he took an entire year off. And as he took this entire year off from his congregation, he reflected on what God had done in him and in his congregation. And I want to share this quote because I think it's a quote that will resonate with a lot of us, and it's important for all of us in this room. Now, uh, Peterson says these words. He says, a benefit I had not counted on was a change in the congregation after my sabbatical. They were refreshed and confident in a way I had not observed before. One of the dangers of a long-term pastorate is the development of neurotic dependencies between pastor and people. And what he meant by that was there's often neurotic dependencies from the people to the pastor and from the pastor to the people. It goes both ways. He said, I had worried about that from time to time. Was it healthy of me to stay in this congregation for so long? Had I taken the place of God for them? He continues. Those fears became more acute when I proposed the sabbatical year, for many people expressed excessive anxiety, anxiety that I would not return. And again, listen, some of you ask me, are you really coming back? I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Are you sure I'm coming back? I'm coming back, all right? Anxiety that the church could not get along without me, anxiety that the life of faith and worship and trust that we had worked so hard to develop would disintegrate in my absence. None of these fears was realized, not one. Not even a little bit. Then he finally says, the congregation thrived. They found they did not need me at all. (laughs) They discovered they could be a church of Jesus Christ with another pastor quite as well as they could with me. I returned to a congregation confident in its maturity as a people of God. We are both a congregation and I experiencing a great freedom in this. Neither of us neurotically needs each other. I am not dependent on them. They are not dependent on me. This leaves us free to appreciate each other and receive gifts of ministry from each other. Isn't that wonderful? God holds it all together. Now, what does this mean for all of us? It's not just that I'm going on sabbatical. This is to trigger. This is to prompt. This is to nudge you that you as well need a ministry of absence. Now, you might not be able to get three months, you might not be able to get two months, but you and I, every seven days, have an opportunity to take a mini sabbatical. We call it a Sabbath. You wonder, well, do I ever get any time to breathe? That new life we teach about Sabbath keeping as a gift, that for 24 hours, can stop rest delight contemplate you might not be able to have the freedom and the flexibility for extended periods of time in that way but you and i have the space and the opportunity to keep sabbath and so all of us need to cultivate a ministry of presence how are we with each other and minimally a ministry of absence as well what does a ministry of absence means as well it means that we're cultivating a life with god in prayer That we learn how to pull ourselves away from the daily tasks of life, to to minister before the presence of God in our absence from each other. But all of us are called to a ministry of absence in some form or some way. Some of you say, can I get a ministry of absence from my children? Um, (laughs) All things are possible. Uh, (laughs) for, For God, nothing is impossible. Let me end with this, and then we'll take communion together. Many have asked, what are you going to be doing on uh, your sabbatical? And in a very simple way, I've used a rule of life to frame my sabbatical. Our rule of life at New Life is framed by four different areas, prayer, rest, relationships, and work. And I've adopted that and modified it a little bit. I'll be spending time in prayer, rest, relationship, and I took the work box out, and I just inserted study in there. Prayer, rest, relationships, and study. I'm spending time in prayer. I begin a silent retreat actually tomorrow for a number of days. My goal is to get to Jesus, to be with Jesus, to spend time in his presence, to delight in his presence, not to get something from him, but to just be with him. And so I'll be spending a lot of time in prayer and reflection and silence in scripture I'll spend some time in rest doing the things that bring me joy, bringing the things that bring me renewal, doing the things that give me life. I'll spend some time in cultivating relationships, particularly with my family. There will be an extended time where we'll be traveling around the country in different places, being with each other, being with my family, doing the things that replenish us and give our family life and joy. And I'll spend some time studying, focusing on areas that I believe God might be prompting us to in the future. Spending time reading, spending time writing, but it's prayer, rest, relationships, and study. And the goal of it is that I would so cultivate a life with Jesus in this space that when I come back, I'm offering that life to you. It was St. Thomas Aquinas who, when he was talking about preaching, he had a wonderful definition of preaching that I think expands to all of life. And Thomas Aquinas, when he translates it from Latin, he says, preaching in life is contemplation and sharing the fruit of one's contemplation. And that's essentially what I'm hoping to do and hoping we all do for each other. And this is the image that Aquinas gives. He says, contemplation or sabbatical in this way "is is the full contemplation of God. And this is the hope of it. Psalm 27, four. one thing have I delighted, desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I, I'm, I'm contemplating, I'm beholding God. And Aquinas says the moment where, where contemplation turns into ministry, contemplation turns into life, contemplation turns into preaching, is you are so beholding the, the, the glory and the presence of God that you make a shift and you, and you look to the people around you and you say, Would you like some of that? That's what contemplation is. We're beholding the beauty of God. And out of beholding the beauty of God, we turn around to the world and say, Would you like some of that? This is not just for me. This is for all of us. We are all called to behold the beauty of Jesus, to behold him. And out of that, look around the world and say, Would you like some? Would you desire, would you like to drink from this fountain, eat from this table, live from this presence? And that's the goal over the next few months for me, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple, and to out of that place say, would you like some of that? Amen. Let's pray together. We're going to take communion together where we fix our attention on the presence of Jesus through bread and a cup. So I want to invite the folks who are going to offer the bread and the cup around this room to come. And as they come, I imagine many of you are, need a ministry of absence as well in some form or fashion tired, overwhelmed, rhythms that do not sustain you, and this might be an invitation to take inventory of our rhythms, of our times of silence and solitude, of our Sabbath rhythms. We're called to live in deep-rooted communion with Jesus. Jesus lord thank you for your love which is better than life thank you for the ways that you sustain the whole world with your loving word thank you for sending the holy spirit to dwell in us and dwell among us and lord now as we come to the table of communion may we May we be reminded that you are near, that through your broken body and poured out blood, you have made a way for the spirit to come, to invigorate us, to renew us, to revive us. And so, Lord, thank you for this table. We come not in our name, but in your name. Not in our performance, but in your performance. Not in our works, but in your work. We thank you for the grace to come to this table. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Before you come forward, let's pray this prayer of confession together. And we pray this prayer of confession before we take communion as a reminder that we are all in the same boat. We all need to confess our sin. We all need to receive pardon from God. And so as the people of God, let's pray this together. And as, after we pray it, you'll come forward, take bread, dip it in a cup, go back to your seat and just hold it there. And I'll come back to lead us together. Let's pray it together. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, we have sinned against you through our own fault in thoughts, in word, in deed, in what we have done and what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name amen please come forward
1: you are here moving in our midst i worship you that dark
0: Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. As the people of God, freely forgiven by the love and grace of Jesus, let's all receive together. of our prayer team come to my left. I imagine in a given week, many of us are missing presence. You're missing encouragement. You're missing affirmation. You're missing healthy touch. And when we pray for one another, we are practicing a ministry of presence to each other. Even in as we're experiencing lots of absence. And so our prayer team will come forward and if there's an area of your life where you just need someone to pray for you, it could be anything, your health, your finances, your marriage, what's happening with children, something in your job, if you just need someone to pray for you, our prayer team would love to pray for you. Before I close, it's important for me to offer a word of thanks to our, our board of elders. Our board has been uh, so generous in giving this space, and so I receive it as a great gift from our board. Every, every month we gather together, and um, they've just been so generous. And so I, I'm grateful. I'm also grateful for our staff, and I, I give thanks for our staff. Uh, as, as we're already doing, Jackie will be leading the day-to-day operations of the church. And so really, uh, nothing's going to change from a day to day we're doing what we're already doing here. And I'm grateful for our staff. We have an incredible staff team that works incredibly hard, and they are just an amazing group of people. And I just give thanks uh, for them as well. And I, and I do give thanks uh, for Pete and Jerry for, for modeling something over the years. There are not many churches that have this built into the DNA of their church. And so what we often have is pastors who are burned out, pastors who are now irritable, who stay long beyond the time they should have gone, who are grumpy pastors, and uh, and really not serving the body of Christ well. And over the years, we've had a, a culture of, at New Life where Pete and Jerry have modeled something for us, and I'm just continuing to follow that through, and so thank you to Pete and Jerry for for the way you've modeled that and i'm excited uh i'm excited to return i'm excited to leave and i'm excited to return not most pastors are excited to return i want to tell you that some pastors leave and they're like thank god i'm out of there i'm never going back you know but i'm excited to leave you and i'm excited to come back to you and so i look forward to what god's going to do amen amen Let me invite you to open your hands toward heaven to receive a blessing. If you're new to our church, we end every gathering like this. It's a sign of receiving. The world grasps and manipulates and controls. The follower of Jesus, we trust. We receive. We open ourselves up to God. And so, with your hands and your hearts, in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make His face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you leave from this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the truth that Jesus is alive and that he holds all things together. And may you be the presence of Jesus to a world longing for his love, longing for his life, longing for his kingdom. May you be that presence of Jesus wherever you go this week. I bless you all in the strong and the beautiful and the present name of Jesus. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you all.